Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. Recording started. All right, everybody. I'd like to welcome you to this week's May Trexit discussion group call for technical sovereignty. This is the 10th of October. And it just dawned on me. I you know I did a uh, video a couple of days ago, and I said I was pretty much right at uh, the anniversary of when I got in my accident and passed away, but I'm unfortunately still here. And uh, I just now realized uh, October 10th, this is the anniversary date. And uh, that event, I don't know. Well, I'm not sure what time of night it happened. I think about an hour and a half from now, actually. Anyway, it, and that's part of what kind of clued me in as well, I guess, too. Realizing that there's other things running this realm. Uh, things aren't going to be as shallow as we think they are. They're actually layers deep, very many layers deep. And, and it was brought up in a Christian household, you know, so... I was brought up with that standard view that, you know, there's the heaven and there's a hell. And when you die, you go to heaven, which I kind of had some questions about regarding what they teach in uh, churchianity. Because it, there's also a teaching that, you know, uh, when the Messiah returns again, that the dead in Christ will rise first. And, and you have to stop and think, wait a minute. It really doesn't make sense. I thought when you died, you went to heaven. Now they're saying you're not going to rise until the Messiah returns. I mean, that's one heck of a long nap. But, and you know, gosh, fortunately, we don't have any dreams or nightmares during that long nap. But anyway, I digress. Looking at things today and being able to realize what's been put in place and recognize this uh, underworld and there's different people that will be referring to it they refer to it as satanism they refer to it as luciferianism and i think in a way that even those titles in themselves those descriptions are part of this deception of this dark underworld and the reason why is because names are very limiting. They put things into a box. That's one of the reasons why I do not claim to be a Christian. And I know there's been a few people. I had a friend at work one time. And he said, oh, Brian, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, no. And he just like sat back and looked at me. He was like, what? What are you talking about? And so I had to go in and explain to him, you know, it, when we put a title on something, we think, you know, for instance, I've got an idea of what Christianity is and a viewpoint about it. And sometimes we have a habit of kind of living in a bubble and we think everybody else thinks the same way we do, which couldn't be further from the truth. Everybody has their own viewpoint, 
uh, their own separate opinions. And you could probably ask, you know, just say ask 10 different people what Christianity is, and you're going to get a variation on the description from each one. And so, you know, depending on who would be listening to me or who asked me the question about whether I'm a Christian or not, um, I would rather answer no, because if I answer yes, then I'm going to fit into their belief system. I'm, I'm going to fit into their definition of Christianity. And it might be somebody that asked me about it who's childhood and growing up um, in Christianity or within a Christian church was a horrible experience. Um, there's some people who, when they think Christian, they think Catholic, which I could not, I don't have a problem with that really when it comes down to it, because I don't believe that, the, well, actually it's not even belief because belief is an opinion. I firmly know that the churches never really left Catholicism. Uh, they're called the Protestant churches, but Protestant just means what? They're in protest. Well, you can protest all day long. Uh, your kids protest, you send them to their bedroom. It doesn't make them no longer your kids because they're protesting. When you have people protesting on the streets and waving signs around, that does not make them maybe any less of a citizen or a subject to the governing body over them. They're just saying, I, I don't like the rules. And that's exactly what really started with the Protestant movement. It began um, with the Reformation. There's a lot of people will point to Martin Luther King. They'll say, what do you mean it didn't, they didn't separate? And they'll bring up Martin Luther King. Well, Martin Luther King started the Reform movement. The Reformation. He wanted to reform the Catholic Church. He had issues with it. He had some serious problems with it. Uh, namely, indulgences was one of his main problems, one of his main concerns. And so he wanted some changes made. He wanted some reforms made. I've yet to see where anybody put pen to paper or sent a notice to the uh, quote-unquote Holy Father, and uh, told him to take a hike. We're heading our own direction. We serve somebody else than who you serve. I haven't seen that happen. And in fact, here, not many years ago, two, three years ago, I believe it was Kenneth Copeland, you know, this uh, Protestant evangelical whatever minister that was on TV saying that you know, everybody needs to come back together again. He says, we, we've been in protests for too long. You know, it, it, it's time that everybody unify. We come together. And, and that's really what the, the aim is and the goal is, is a unification. Uh, to me, the best way to instill a unification could be very well just a numbing of the mind. And I think a numbing of the mind has been done as far as religious goes. I'm not talking about spirituality. I, I believe spirituality is our own personal path, our own personal relationship with our creator or whatever uh, deity in the pantheon of deities you choose to uh, follow. 
uh, a, a numbing it was one of the best things. And I think this past year, with the closing down of churches, for instance, and they say it takes, uh, yeah, I've heard varying arguments on it, that it takes about three months. Three months will solidify a change of habits for people. And they they had churches closed down for much longer than that. And I haven't looked at the stats or anything, but I'm sure those that have reopened probably don't have the numbers that they did before, which is very unhealthy for them. And it doesn't matter whether they are teaching a correct theology or not. It's, it's going to weaken the unification of people as a whole, and it's going to um, smear or muddy the waters of, say, maybe even the belief systems. And that's one of the first things that you would have to do to get everybody to unify, because that, that would help in getting rid of all of their dogma. One of the main things that's really been part of a philosophy behind many of these leaders around the world or across the world, I'd rather say than around, is there's a supposed claim to have being religious people. I believe most all the presidents have claimed to be a Christian or follow some sort of, you know, a, a strong religious viewpoint. And they go to this church or they go to that church. And that was an important thing for quite a while. In fact, it was even more important if you go back 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, we're going to go back to the time of John F. Kennedy. There was a, was a really serious question at the time whether or not John F. Kennedy should be president because he was Catholic. Oh, my God, he was Catholic. And uh, there's this viewpoint instilled in people because of the indoctrination system, the public schooling system, the government schooling system, there's this indoctrination they have that this country was essentially founded to get away from Catholicism because we wanted freedom of religion. Although one of the big churches that was first established here in North America, it was the Catholic Church. So I, I would really think that if the uh, Puritans, the Quakers, you name it. There was a long list of, of various uh, methodologies, including the Methodist, speaking of methodologies. But it, it, there was a number of them here as well. And so if they were here in revolt of the state of England and to get away from the Catholic Church, to have their freedom of religion, I think they would have really shunned or, or pushed away the Catholic community. I, I don't think that would have been a religion that would have even ever been on anybody's mind to even start up because supposedly this is what they were trying to get away from. This just wouldn't make any sense. And in this, in this, you know, murking over, muddying the waters of people's thoughts, you have to stop and remember what the United States of America has been referred to. 
it's been referred to as a melting pot. Well, when you create a melting pot of people, what are you doing? And you're getting rid of a lot of the old family ways. You're getting rid of the, the doctrines that people necessarily were, were pushing and instilled in their society. There's no longer an individual society. Now you've got multiple societies and everything is becoming very fragmented. And then if you tie into that, for instance, like intermarrying, and then not just intermarrying, but you're going to have people from multiple theologies associating with each other. And this is going to be muddying the waters. This is going to be really instilling what was called the melting pot. And in my belief, the idea of the melting pot is a horrible idea. It's a terrible idea because you're losing the individuality of the people. And these leaders claiming to be religious, well, when you look at the things they talk about, you know, scripture, if scripture is not spot on about at least one thing, it's that you'll know people by their fruits. And so when you look at their fruits, look at what they do, look at the things they say and what they talk about, you can, over a very short amount of time, pick out what they are following, where their belief system is, where their head's at. And the hermetic principles have been behind even the founders, the so-called founding fathers of the USA. They were strong hermeticists. The hermetic principles were very important with them. And just going to briefly go over those. Uh, the first one of the seven was mentalism. And it's the idea that the mind creates everything. Uh, the second is correspondence. And in correspondence, it's the idea that the outer worlds and the inner worlds are going to correspond with each other. And that can be a little confusing. I'll, I'll leave that alone. The third one is vibration in that everything is based on frequency. Everything vibrates. If you notice, some of these items are things that are popular to talk about in culture today, especially when we're getting into uh, like the New Age movement or things like that. Um, like the fourth one, number four, it's polarity. Uh, polarity is, you know, Good versus evil, uh, negative and positive, um, negative and positive in everything. You've got male, female, it, you know, it, it's a duality. Number five is that there's a rhythm. And the actions and things that happen in life uh, creates a flow. There's a flow to life. And that's what they refer to as rhythm. And number six would be very obvious to a lot of people, uh, cause and effect. Cause and effect is number six. For every action, there's a reaction. It's kind of a no-brainer on that one, I think. Um, number seven was interesting. Number seven is gender. And that, again, goes into duality, but just not the duality of genders, but the qualities that the different genders exhibit 
and I firmly believe that we're really seeing a play on number seven on, on gender today. And I don't think I'm going to have to go into that. I think plenty of people know these things. But out of these seven hermetic principles, these are the principles that guide life. This is what things are based on. All right. And to me, when you look at those, it's very, very easy to see a problem with them. If these things are what guide life and what's behind everything, then where's the creator in the picture? Where's there a higher power mentioned? The only higher power that would really even come close to being mentioned here is that these are called the seven hermetic principles. Hermetic meaning Hermes, Mercury, a war god, a god of the underworld. These are his principles. And so many of these are being pushed today. And so many of these as well through Hermes and, and those that have followed those principles you're going to get into a lot of, I mentioned last week, like the mystery schools. The mystery schools are based on these as well. And, and there's different levels of those. These are ideas that, well, look at where a lot of the knowledge is sourced from. It's sourced from universities. I always kind of found it interesting when I ever hear talk regarding a, a university or somebody from a university they'll say oh uh he's one of the uh fellows at such and such a jesuit college one of the fellows part of the fellowship and i look at the word fellow and i think fallen which takes you to nephilim in an etymology you can trace these back they, they, they all they just don't kind of rhyme or anything. No, they kind of rhyme for a reason because it's the truth. And I find it interesting that these universities, there was some numbers put out that was, and I think it was about 12 years ago, but the numbers that were put out were that these universities, and when I say these, I'm talking about the Jesuit universities, the Ivy League colleges, these all have uh, plans, uh, religious-based plans, uh, supposedly Catholic-based plans, you know, to, to help produce uh, priests. They'll have seminaries. And as of like 12 years ago, they were supposed to be able to put out potentially 40,000 new priests per year. And you stop and think, 40, 000, where would 40,000 new priests per year go. I was listening to an interview one time and one of these gentlemen was actually asking about that while in university. He said, well, obviously there's not going to be 40,000 priests in the Catholic Church replaced a year. So, you know, just go out and do what you do. You know, but go out and do the things you're interested in. You know, whether it's starting businesses, 
and, and while you're doing that, um, and try and get on school boards. Try and join like the Chamber of Commerce. Um, basically telling them that they were to be the influencers in town, which a lot of people may or may not have heard of, but these are also referred to as change agents. I know it perked my ear one time when I heard Rush Limbaugh's program playing in the background, and he said, well, in my opinion, as a change agent, I thought, what? What, what did he just say? As he's a change agent? Because that's what they do with the change agents. They, they recruit people who are influencers in their communities or in their district, even just a neighborhood. But they, they want people that can touch as many people really as possible. So I went, that's why they want them to go ahead and get a job like at a radio station or even a local news channel or things like that. Because little by little, if you can get the pockets of people to believe a certain way, you can have a strong influence. I just asked today, how long did it take before everybody was wearing a mask? Didn't take that long, did it? So much of this has been set up, and I went over this last week. Um, I talked a little bit about 1946 with what happened with L. Ron Hubbard in the desert with uh, Jack Parsons from um, Jack Parsons Laboratories, and that they had potentially opened a porthole that was allowing some of these entities in. And I, this, like I had mentioned, I'll say, you know, this has been done over time. You know, this was nothing new. Like I had mentioned, uh, going back to Kelly and his cohort, and, uh, John D., who was also a influencer for the Queen. And even that, that term influencer, we, we see that talked about a lot today in social media. You've got your social media influencers. And there's a lot of younger people that actually aspire to be an influencer. And they watch different influencers and see what they do so they can emulate them. And when I was growing up, <clears throat> that term influencer, I think, probably would have been, in a way, kind of a dirty word. Because people should be able to think for themselves, decide for themselves. That they shouldn't have a guru or an influencer that is going to tell them what's cool or what they should do or how they should talk or what kind of music they should listen to or what or what they should wear. I don't know if I mentioned it last week, um, so I, I want to go into this just a little bit here. And this is going back even prior uh, to what happened in the 40s or even what happened around uh, 1500 with uh, John D. and Kelly. But the, this was really, I believe, the beginning of it. And I'm not pointing at anybody in particular. 
um, even our gene pool has become kind of a melting pot. So no matter what blood type you have or whatever, um, no, not everybody is in a family that uh, is trying to take over the world or anything like that. But this was introduced into humanity DNA-wise through what scientists believe was an anomaly. And this is very well agreed upon. It was an anomaly that happened around the Mesopotamian area. And in Mesopotamia, uh, they believe that some change or something occurred within the DNA. And, and that was really the beginning of where you saw the blonde hair, blue eyes. And myself being blonde hair, blue eyed, I went in and studied it. I went and researched it because I was like, you know, everybody should. Well, why do I have blonde hair? You know, where, where does it come from? And I was pretty amazed with the things that I found. And we have to know the Mesopotamian area. This is the same region where you would have been finding Babylon at. And when everybody split out of there, a lot of them think of a lot of them heading um, over and down into Italy, for instance. If you look at northern Italy, northern Italy is well known for blonde-haired people. Normally, when we think of an Italian, we think of people with dark hair, maybe a dark complexion. But that also would have come from um, that area of, of the world. And we look at some of the depictions and uh, the mummies that they found in the Middle East and the depictions of the pharaohs. Um, uh, I think of Herod in times of scripture. Herod. Why was he called Herod? Hair red. And it makes sense because that's what names consisted of. Names will consist of like three basic categories. One, it'll be paternal. Another one might be commercial. It might have to do with what kind of work you do. Um, other ones might have to do with physical traits uh, of your family. Is your last name short? I mean, so that's where basically the, the surnames kind of sprouted from. But the majority of it, I would say a good share of it, was commercial. And th that was part of what brought in the surname into the realm of the commercial activity and, and governing it that way. Um, a lot of these people that we will find, let's say, with the RH negative blood type, now the, the royals are... Um, an O negative, uh, which is, I don't know. I, I'm not going to get into the details on that, but we're going to find out a lot of those people as well. Um, there's the Berbers uh, of Morocco area. There's the Basque um, that settled in uh, southern France near, I think, northern Spain. And, you know, I kind of got to commend those societies because they've stayed pretty well intact and they've got very large percentages of their population 
with the uh, RH negative factor, uh, well over 20%. And these philosophies and these beliefs that came with these people, it, it, blood was important to them. In the Vril Society, it, it was important as a gene of ISIS. Gene of ISIS. Say gene of ISIS fast. What word do you come up with? A lot of these beliefs were held tight by a lot of these people. And they were self-contained. They were very self-contained. The average people today, the general public, knows very, very little about some of the knowledge that they have. Um, there's a huge fear today. I mean, I'll give you a for instance. There's a huge fear today of, say, China trying to take over the USA, which I'm not sure that they already haven't, at least commercially. Um, look around your house, and probably just about everything came from China. Um, hopefully not the drywall, but eh, that's another story altogether. Well, you look at um, the younger Bush, look at his family. Uh, what was his daughters studying in high school? Uh, they're studying Mandarin. How many people study Mandarin? But it was almost like it was a requirement for them to learn Mandarin. Gee, that's kind of interesting. So, it, you, like I said, you know them by their fruits. You look at what these people do. And so the, these people that are running things today and what it did, it morphed really from it being uh, countries ruled by kings and, and monarchs. Uh, those kind of went away. At least those titles kind of slipped away. Maybe softer words like president was used. Uh, maybe a softer word like citizen was used instead of subject. And slowly as it, those titles of nobility kind of went to the backside a little bit, everything started being run more and more by the big companies, the big corporations. If people aren't aware of the East India Tea Company, I would strongly recommend checking into the East India Tea Company. At one time, that company owned a large part of um, the new land. Uh, they had property from New York all the way down into Florida. It, so where did the settlers get their property from? They were getting it through the East India Tea Company and which is ultimately through the king. And the guy they were supposedly running from, yeah, they were getting deeded the land by the king. If people go in and do a study on slavery, for instance, you'll find that at that time, slavery was prevalent. Slavery was prevalent here before the Mayflower landed. Uh, there's too many people that think that the Mayflower was the beginning of the USA. It was not the beginning of the USA. There was a lot of towns and cities here that had been founded many, many years earlier, maybe 100 years earlier. Um, 
St. Augustine, Florida. It, it's been there. They, there's old forts there. That, that place was a, a, a trading hub. There was a lot of established things here before they ever came. So this idea that they came and had the first Thanksgiving with the Indians and the Indians taught them how to plant maize or plant corn, those are fairy tales. Those are total fairy tales. There might be some little elements of truth in them, but the background behind them and what they're used to depict is extremely false. And the indoctrination camps have really, really twisted people's minds. I've gotten a little bit away from the things I want to cover this evening, but these are things we have to see. And we, we have to realize that the education as far as timelines and the facts about things have been very distorted for everyone. And be very wise to go in and, and research them on your own. And amazingly, so much of the truth is available. And they don't care about having it available because the people don't want to search it out. It's not as fun as watching Friends or the football game or whatever the case may be. I had a conversation with a gentleman the other night at work, one of the uh, players in the casino. And he was winning. He was up about $1,500 or so. And he was like, oh, yeah, man, a good night. He's like, I've been on such a down streak lately, you know. And I said, well, you know what? As long as you're doing really good right now. I said, go home. Leave. And he looked at me and he said, and do what? And I thought, wow. You know, that, that is one of the biggest problems we probably have today is people have such a lack of creativity, they don't even know what to do with their own free time. I, I've told people before, I've had people ask me, oh, did you see such and such a show? I'm like, no. I'm like, oh, well, you ought to check it out. because It's on t such, such a time, Tuesday nights at whatever. I'm like, uh, yeah, I said, I don't watch TV. I mean, not for anything, period. I don't even turn on a TV. And they just look at me like a deer in the headlights. And they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, what do you mean, what do I do? I said, I am so tight on time, you have no idea. I said, there's times where I wonder how I even have time to even hold a job or a part-time job. <laughs> yeah, let alone sit and watch TV. Oh, gosh, forget about it. So many of the things, though, that we are seeing right now today have been established. And they're playing out exactly the way they were supposed to play out. And if people, like I said, turn off TV, whatever, go do some research into some of these people. You're going to find how it was all planned out, how it was all laid out. Um, some of these other gentlemen I mentioned, like, you know, Hubbard or John D. Um, or Jack Parsons and things that they were doing. There's many other people as well. Uh, Helena Blavatsky. She was pushing an agenda. Uh, there, there was Rudolf Steiner. Rudolf Steiner was around 1900. And, and some of the 
things that he pushed and, and the things that were happening at that time with theosophy and uh, anthropology Theosophy, these schools were the background behind the people who are presenting the information that is to be taught today. And Rudolf Steiner made some very interesting statements, and uh, I, I could read off a whole bunch of them, but I'm going to just name a couple of them that really stick out uh, compared to today. Because he had this belief that eventually medicine would rule everything. The medical field would be in charge. Um, we're talking about probably next week doing a show at, or a meeting with a handful of us on protecting our property, namely our offspring. And where does that problem with the offspring first initiate at? It happens at the hospital. It happens in this medical realm. The medical realm that Steiner believed would end up taking control of people and people's lives. And I think he theorized, you know, in maybe 100 years. Well, he was talking about this in 1915, 1920. So I think the 100-year mark, probably it would have been pretty accurate if that's what he was saying. But he, one of his quotes was, a medicine will be found to take care of hiding the spiritual and the soul from people. That eventually something would be created to where we would not be able to recognize our spirit and our soul. That's, so it, in essence, what he was saying is, you know, that spark of divinity that people feel that sense of sovereignty maybe that people feel, that that was going to be annihilated. Uh, there would never be a thought uh, of, of praising your creator or having a conversation with your creator. Um, that would just be a totally foreign thought to you. And he believed that, that a point would come where a medicine would be created that could cure that. He also said the spirits of darkness will take over men. And, and when he said that the spirits of darkness would take over men, he was speaking at the time about specific men. He was talking about doctors, the men in the medical field. And so you stop and think about just those two quotes and how they correlate with each other. Doctors being run by a spirit of darkness and a medicine being able to be created that would cut off the tie between man and his creator. Huh. Kind of a scary thought. I have no idea what would be used for that today. And some of these things though, and even these names, you might only hear some of these names in in certain areas of university level studies. If something that just goes through, you know, K through 12, you're not, you're not going to hear these things. It, it's not stuff you really need to read about. It's not stuff you need to hear about because the intention for schooling is just to create a good worker. 
uh, like Rockefeller said, he said, well, we don't need any more scientists. We don't need any more doctors. We don't need any more artists. we got plenty of those, but we just need to build a good workforce. That, that was the plan. And that was started with what he funded called the uh, country school. And to me, that was actually, it maybe sounded like a good idea for educating the kids. But that, that was also the beginning of really separating the families, dividing the families. Let me explain something. At the, at the time of the country schools, a system for education wasn't needed. What they wanted was a system for indoctrination. And, and what Rockefeller modeled everything after, everything was modeled after the school system of the Prussian Empire, which was probably one of the worst as, or facets of the Prussian Empire. It's totally total socialism. Oh. So I would, I would, you know, people talk about, oh, we're way more educated. We're way more smarter today. No, you're more indoctrinated today. You think that you're more intelligent than um, people were 150 years ago? You can go online and I would recommend people try this out. I think it's called the 1882 eighth grade equivalency test. I don't think I could pass it. I don't know very many people that, that could pass it with a decent grade. This is the eighth grade equivalency test. I think many university level graduates would be very hard pressed even to pass this test depending on the field of their studies. I mean, the math alone that's in it is just like, I'm like, what? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. And eighth graders knew this stuff, but it was things that eighth graders had to know at that time. I'd recommend people uh, check out uh, Dr. Richard Day as well. You know, Dr. Richard Day was, was trying to not warn people. I think he was more bragging, but, but talking to a group of other physicians in Pennsylvania. It was a small group, 70, 80 people. And he, he was talking about what our plans are for the future. Uh, he, he had been a Harvard grad, uh, gone to, um, I believe, University of Pennsylvania as well. So he, he, was, he was in the inner loop. And some of the things he talked about just blew their mind. People at that time thought, They're, you're crazy. There's no way. There's no way I'm going to allow my employer to pay the bank instead of paying me on payday. No, I want the money in my hand. Uh, we're going to talk on, on little boxes that aren't connected to wires or anything. What are you talking about? People thought he was crazy. But I, to me, it wasn't really all the predictions that he made because he made a lot of them. He covered what would happen in sports, what would happen in music, what would happen in entertainment, what would happen with clothing, what would happen with work, what would happen with manufacturing. I mean, he, he detailed a whole lot of these things. He, I mean, he hit everything, even religion. He hit the food. 
what food would be like in the future. But to me, that those things that he predicted, and well, yes, they've all come true. They've come true for the most part. There's only one or two things that haven't, and those are pretty scary. And they kind of point to a full collapse of everything structurally. But two of the things that he repeated numerously during his speech that I think were the most important kind of underlay behind stuff and you really wouldn't think it's very important at first until you really stop and think about it. But he kept explaining that people are going to have to get used to change. You, you can't get stuck in a rut or anything like that, that things are going to be very fluid in the future and, and life would be constantly changing and people would have to get used to it. And if we haven't seen a lot of change in the last 50 years, if we haven't seen a lot of change in the last year and a half, I mean, come on. But another statement that he made, and I think maybe I'll just kind of close out with this for right now, is that people don't ask the right questions. And I think that's very important. People do not ask the right questions. If people would ask the right questions and also demand the answers to them and a real answer, not a, you know, a, a word salad answer, but a real answer, a lot of things wouldn't be the way they are today. People don't ask the right questions. If I was to pose one question a day, it would be, how do you medically make something to combat an enemy that you've never isolated? You've never even identified it, but you're able to make a medicine for it? That would be one of the right questions that should be demanded today. All right. I think I'm going to just kind of leave with this. This topic, I, I've got so much more information I'm going to go into on it. It, it. And a lot of the stuff I don't, I don't think I should talk about it. it they would be trigger items, even more of a trigger item than probably what I just mentioned. But, and, and they're part of it, asking the right questions. But, researching this kind of stuff and knowing this stuff and the majority of it really was just put on me it was let me explain something look at how for instance the alphabet agencies recruit people well, a lot of these um mystery schools or secret societies they recruit people the same exact way as the alphabet agencies. I find that kind of interesting. And what they do is they go out and just in general life, they, they keep their eye open for people that they don't think are just run-of-the-mill people. It's people that might have some unique character, unique quality to them. And 
So they, they will start feeding different information to them just to see how they react to it. And so I'll just say that. You know, sometimes information is just provided to you. And it's not necessarily the most fun or comfortable information, depending on your perspective. At least from my perspective, it's not that fun or that comfortable. Although it's very necessary to know. That way you can see when something's being played on you, when somebody's trying to manipulate you. If, if you look in Hebrew at the word witchcraft or witch, what a witch is in Hebrew is someone who manipulates you to get you to do something you normally wouldn't do. Plain and simple. Uh, we've got a lot of very manipulative people today running around. And they found the best way of controlling the people isn't from the top down, but it's laterally. Get them all to start controlling each other. And over the past 20 years, I've seen more and more evidence of that, of how people are trying to control each other. Not just going to do what they want to do, but, oh, that's against the law. You know, um, we've got all these hotline numbers, things like that. Um, if you see something, say something. It, this has been an indoctrination to where the slaves can control the slaves. The peasants will control the peasants. That makes it a lot easier for the people to talk. All right, I'm going to unmute uh, lines here, and so when I do so, if you don't want to be unmuted, if you don't want to say or ask anything, just mute yourself out. Can you hear me? I can hear you. How you doing? Who's this? Pretty good. I think I'm the only one. <laughs> the only one what? In the chat. <laughs> oh, in the chat. Oh, okay. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I don't. I haven't seen anything really posted to the chat. But anyway, what's up? Oh, nothing. Just uh, wanted to hop on, and I've been seeing a lot of comments wondering about how to protect offspring. And I thought I could offer my experiences. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, if you want, now, are you going to be available next week? Yeah, I can uh, do my best. Okay. Because I, I, like I said earlier, I think before we started this morning, I really want to dedicate next week to it. But yeah. um, let me see. We've been on here almost an hour. Let's, let's do about 15 minutes of it. How's that sound? Yeah, I don't have a lot. I mean, you touched on some subjects that actually intertwined with my experience, especially the differing opinions on Christianity. I encountered that with my so-called friend. <laughs> and I 
just felt like that is a big, um, big thing is I don't like being called Christian, but everybody likes to put that label on me. <laughs> well, and it's not just Christian. It's, they have made so many of these little boxes. I was talking to a lady a couple weeks ago and uh -huh. she said to me, she said, oh, you're one of the Antifa people. And I said, Antifa, what are you, what are you talking about? I said, I, I know of them, but I don't study any of their crap. I don't care what they push. I, I know yeah. what I know, but no, trust me, I'm not Antifa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, it's, people are just putting labels on everybody. <laughs> and, 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 and there's either hate or love assigned to those by those people. I mean, you're either Republican or you're Democrat. You know, you bring up anything and somebody immediately puts you, oh, you're a It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was, yeah, it, it was a whole issue and she attacked my beliefs and because I didn't use certain words to reference Yahuwah, the creator. Right. <laughs> but um, another thing, uh, you talked about the, the methods of control. And um, something that popped into my head was the newspaper announcements for, you know, sharing your offspring's Earth Day, you know. Right. And um, I would not do that. I did not do that. And I don't think anyone should because, well, I have a personal beef with the local newspaper. <laughs> It's they profit off of misinformation and you have to pay to get that stuff into the paper. And I just, it's a private event that should remain private. Not everybody needs to know about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I never did that and it was never an issue. And I think it may be way back when, you know, you had small newspapers that did a lot of those types of announcements maybe, but now it's, that's not what newspapers are, are about. And I think it's probably good not to support even small newspapers. <laughs> right. And all, you know, there's been a big push against newspapers going and publishing that now because people are supposedly afraid of uh, baby snatchings. Oh. And you know what I mean? And now, the way I always looked at it with um, putting um, those announcements of birds in the newspaper, uh, to me, it was like, you know, you go to the grocery store or a laundromat and you see these uh, little posters people put up, uh, lost mm -hmm. cat, lost dog. Yeah. You know what I mean, it, it's almost like this is being posted and uh, is anybody going to come claim it? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Now, I, I do recommend for, and uh, people could, I don't know, I, I would recommend this prior to having the offspring. If you know roughly about the time that um, your new offspring is going to be coming along, you have mm -hmm. to realize that this system looks at everything as property. They look yeah. at everything as res. Where res is property of a trust. Mm -hmm. And so they look at you as a thing. Yeah. And so I would, I recommend myself 
going and going to the business section of the paper and doing two consecutive uh, notices in there that you have some property expected to arrive within the next 10 to 15 days. Now, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a child. I definitely wouldn't put in the name. Yeah. But enough info that legally um, yeah. somebody would know what you're saying. Because what's also happening when they come out with the birth certificate is um, there's a possible claim being made there on this mm -hmm. on this property. And so if yeah. your claim is is ahead of theirs, first in time, first in line, or first in time, first in right. So yeah. Well, I never did any of that stuff. And I, I made private records. I think it's very important to have a notice or a declaration of the Earthside Day. I don't, I, family Bibles are not the same as they once were. I mean, family Bibles hundred years ago had way more like space for information to put in. Right. And now you have these like little, like small, you don't even have witness sections for like birth announcements in the, the family Bible. So I think it, for my situation, it worked really well that we had private records made up and we had gotten them signed and I got them notarized, but my most, Recent um, sons, uh, I haven't gotten it signed. I'm going to be doing that here shortly. But we just had him in the family Bible. And we weren't, it, that seemed to be sufficient in our situation. Right. So I, I mean, I think if someone wants to do it, they can. Yeah. Well, the, the, I, and I found in the Department of State for Passports, where one of the things they listed was the family Bible. That's acceptable as yeah. a birth record. I actually used that as evidence because our court-appointed uh, attorney, and I know <laughs> you're not supposed to have those, but uh, she wanted to have information on like why we didn't get these government-issued documents and numbers and that was one of the things I used was that passport site and the PDF of the social security number pamphlet. Yep. So yep. that was really useful. Well, you know, and for say people that are very new to this information, um, what they need to realize is the, the birth certificate or certificate of life birth specifically is not intended to be for the baby. What they are doing is they are creating an organization mm -hmm. because we, you have to realize you have authority over what you create. Well, did they create the baby? No, they didn't. Well, how can they get authority over that individual? I mean, they don't care about it at its infancy necessarily, but as it gets older, becomes teenager, goes into the workforce, you know, they want to be able to have an authority over it. So yeah. if they create this organization and you step in as what's been referred to as a spokesman for the organization or, mm -hmm. or maybe in more legal terms, an agent for the organization, then yeah. 
they have authority over the organization, you're the agent for it, so you are going to do with it what they require. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a whole bunch of shenanigans. Yes, and a lot of, and, and these things aren't necessarily a theory for Brian Parker or, or, or from you. Uh, these are things that, okay, when, when, when it's found in one place, okay, good. Where else do you see it at? Where other examples yeah. do you see it at? And now when it keeps repeating itself, it's like, okay, well, this case is true. Um, I, I don't have a problem with a scientific method. And I kind of acronym the scientific method as MORE, M-O-R. Is it measurable? Is it observable? And is it repeatable? Exactly. And, and those are the things that you need to use to strengthen um, your belief system and change your belief system from being beliefs to being knowledge. Because yeah. knowledge is, is the real info. Um, yeah. I, 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 I also want to just uh interject the uh stay away from the term sovereign like sovereignty as yeah. much as possible like when you're dealing with entities absolutely and, <laughs> because and that's been flagged and don't use that straw man word either that's kind of silly too yeah i that is one thing like in from the group the original group that's what i took and i was very particular in the words I chose and how I talked about why when we were in this pre-meeting thing with the CPS, all those people. And I was very particular about what I said. I did not mention sovereign citizen. I didn't mention sovereignty. I kept the focus on freedom and living in honor and like all that stuff. And according to what we teach or what we want for our boys or for our sons. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that word sovereign has been weaponized uh, just like conspiracy theorists has been weaponized. Um, I, I love how they, they throw conspiracy theory at things. I, I even had somebody come up to me uh, about a year ago and they said, I had a bunch of questions about somebody, about something, about a certain topic. And they said, uh, a friend of mine said, go ask Brian because he's into conspiracy theories. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I said, no, I'm not really. Uh, a lot of this stuff, the, the green men and the Martians that are coming to save us from the Galactic Federation. Yeah, forget all that crap. But um, yeah. Um, it, and the hilarious thing is how they weaponize it, but though. What is one of the most common charges in either state or federal court that they charge people with? It's conspiracy. Yeah. Conspiracy is one of their favorites. Yeah. So, yeah. If any conspiracy theories out there, it's them. <laughs> Pretty much. Huh. But yeah, the, oh. the word sovereign, even the people in our circles, um, the, the meaning of it has been totally clouded and muddied as well. Yeah. And, that's, 
a, a lot of people have the idea that, well, there's only one sovereign, that's the creator. Well, in the truest form of sovereignty, yes, that's that would probably be true. Yeah. But the sovereignty takes on many forms. And when the government says that they, they get their power through the consent of the people, that's, that's kind of a modern way of saying it. If you go and read Law of Nations by Emmerich Vattel, that was printed just prior to the founding of the United States, mm-hmm. and he, he talked about sovereignty in a much different way and also talked about popular sovereignty. And popular sovereignty is what that consent of the people is that they're referring to. Oh, yeah. So that's just a word that's been... Oh, I've just noticed it in everything. The words are changing. The meanings are changing. And it's... I'm just like, I don't want to... I don't want to talk anymore. <laughs> yeah, right? Because, uh, uh-huh. like, yeah, it's just... it's leeching into every aspect and it's like those words don't didn't mean that (laughs) exactly not at all anyway i think we could probably cut it here and i can come on next week yeah i want to get a hold of like uh samantha also and have her come on Uh and uh if there's any of the other uh new people that came in from the uh, motherhood, I'll say, side of things that came into the group this week. Uh, I, I'd like to have them on with us and join us, and maybe we can lay something out that will give people good knowledge on on what to do with their expected offspring that are coming. Uh, because mm-hmm. I, I refer to it as the physical manifestation day. It's the day we physically manifested here. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, well, we're energy, we're a spark, and that spark yep. came from somewhere, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that would be a good idea, kind of just do that and help people, because a lot of people have questions, and I got a full inbox. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, whatever questions you have, write them down, mm-hmm. and we can tackle those. And I, I love doing these um, on these recordings because it can help the people that are currently listening to it instead of just somebody that stumbles across a thread on social media. And it'll help people next week, next year, because oh. th- these issues are ongoing. It's nothing that's going to end anytime soon. Yeah, they're, they're good stuff. All right. Alrighty. Well, I will talk to you later. Absolutely. And everybody, yep, go ahead, dear. Okay. All right. Bye. All right. We'll catch you next week. And everybody, you know, people ask, you know, what should I study? Where should I start learning that? You know what? Start with yourself. You know, learn who you really are, where you're really from, and where you're really at because you've been deceived on all those things. But at the same time, when it comes to learning about yourself, that is really what the great work is about. It's about taking control of the self.
there is um, been a, a big push and something a lot of people like clamoring onto and talking about that they don't quite fully grasp it because it's not been laid out very well for them. And it's called the right of self-determination. And I'm going to touch on this lastly before we stop here. People need to realize what this right of self-determination is. And yes, it is found in many of the writings of the United Nations. Remember that timeline I went over last week? The things that happened right after 1946? There were things that happened in like 1947, a state that was created in 1948. Things that happened that laid the groundwork for the U.N., to be created in the following decade. And self-determination, yes, it is something they use quite a bit. But what is self-determination? What does that phrase really mean? And I would say that term comes from Aleister Crowley, who one of the well-known quotes by him was, do as thou wilt. There's no difference between do as thou wilt and self-determination. We just have to make sure our determination is being correctly guided. And I will see everybody next Sunday night, 9 o'clock Eastern, and we're going to go over protecting your offspring. Good night, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.